So I was reading, I was reading Lewis and his Perilandra, and I was also reading, I think, uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion. And it just, the, the kind of mythical cosmological worlds that both of those authors create, I found to be just super fascinating. So then I thought, I wonder if you could read the story of the Bible like that. Like, what if Satan was more like what Lewis presented or more like Sauron? Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Pastor Theologian Show. Today we have uh, the Reverend Dr. Gerald Heastan joining us, who is co-founder of the CPT and the senior pastor at Calvary Memorial Church in Oak Park, just outside of Chicago. We've had Gerald on before, and we're looking forward to hearing a little bit more about his own story, as well as his research and his uh, academic and study interests and the ministry that he is currently doing at Calvary. So let's jump right into the conversation with Gerald. Gerald, we are delighted to have you on the uh, podcast today. Zach and I are really looking forward to again, talking. Yeah, return, again, re- indeed. repeat offender. Indeed, yeah. And looking forward to talking with you about a subject that we are really excited about talking about. And uh, you and I have had many conversations over the years about the theme of our conversation today, your doctoral research in Irenaeus. Uh, and his cosmology, and and uh, uh, both uh, excited to have a conversation about it from an academic and theological perspective, but also from a pastoral uh, perspective. There are, as we've talked over the years, tons of implications, I think, and uh, that you've helped me see about Irenaeus's theological anthropology and cosmology and all the rest of it. So we're excited to get into that discussion, but I thought we would ease our way into the conversation by talking about uh, a little bit about your story uh, in pulling off this doctoral dissertation. Um, you have the rare distinction, at least in my, my view, of of uh, completing a serious academic PhD while being a full-time pastor. And I know that because we worked together the whole duration of your <laughs> saw research. saw it with your own I eyes. saw it with my own eyes. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, shortly would, after— Would you, not have believed it otherwise yes, if indeed. I had not no, seen indeed. it with my own eyes. Well, I've said to Gerald— on any number of occasions, I, my my temperament would not allow me to pull that kind of a thing off. Yeah, I, I don't I know. Would, I don't know if mine would either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I can't I can't imagine. So, um, without throwing too many bouquets of flowers at you for being uh, uh, such. A, Although it remains to be seen whether I could pull off a PhD in general. Yeah, well, there we go. There you you guys at least have yeah. You guys at least have that on your belt. Exactly. Um, but uh, so. So I, I think it would be really helpful for our listeners to know a little bit more about the um, y- your thought process in um, kind of concluding, hey, I'm going to stay working as a pastor full-time and try to do uh, a serious academic uh, research degree, uh, and then what that was like <laughs> uh, with all of the the things going on in pastoral ministry. And it wasn't an easy time at Calvary. I mean, we had tons of things going. We weren't coasting uh, uh, in ministry here. so. And Todd, you were the senior pastor at Calvary at the time, which uh, just to make that explicit, because that might not be clear to some of the listeners. So the the context was that you, Todd, were 
the senior pastor at Calvary Memorial Church, and you actually hired Gerald. You had known each other previously or yeah. no? Yeah. Yeah, you had known each other previously, and you hired Gerald as your executive pastor. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, that's right. And this is the context in which this is getting, right. getting going. So, so kind of get us into that whatever way you'd like, Gerald. I, yeah. I think it'll be fascinating for all of us to, to hear, hear how you thought about that and pursued it, and how on earth you actually pulled it off is, is maybe the thing right. that most people will be interested in. Yeah, no, uh, these are all great questions, and um, it's great to be uh, back on the show. And uh, so I had actually applied for uh, Wheaton Graduate uh, School's PhD program, and— um, I had forgotten that. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, that's right. I was the—they uh, take one a year, you know, in the in each But before department. you came to Calvary. Before I came to Calvary. Yeah, there we yeah. go, there we go. And uh, I was the runner-up, you know, always a, oh, yeah. always a bridesmaid, <laughs> never a bride. So I—and so at that point, I had been thinking of going into a PhD program full-time. And then when I did not get into that program, I was at the same time, almost at the same time to the day, offered a pastoral job that I had also applied for. So I felt that was the Lord's yeah. leading. I went and took the pastoral job and uh, put the PhD on hold. And uh, then after coming to Calvary, you know, probably like five or six years mm-hmm. later. Um, so you applied to Wheaton as a, a student at Trinity. I was finished finishing up my MA, MA at Trinity, Trinity and applied theology, to right? Yeah, I was trying to decide to go back into pastoral ministry or mm. keep pursuing the PhD. I always wanted to get into pastoral ministry, back mm-hmm. into pastoral ministry. So it was never a, a like a vocational uh, decision, but it yes. was whether I just do my PhD full time or or I try to do it from the pastorate. Actually, I didn't even know what I was going to do for a PhD if. I had not gotten into the program. So, what, what, by the way, just kind of curious because yeah. I forget this part of your story. What what, who, what did you apply to do? What, I was looking to do discipline? historical theology, historical theology yeah. and was going to do some stuff on the doctrine of justification. Yep, which was a follow up okay, to yeah, my this is back to yeah, yeah follow up to my uh, MA work at uh, Trinity. So uh, that did not work out, and ended up in pastoral ministry. Did that for a number of years. Then we met yep. uh, Todd and I, and then uh, got came down to to Calvary in Oak Park, and was here for a couple of years, and then began to really think about doing a distance uh, external research degree, um, and was encouraged. I think it was maybe Scott uh, Hafman yeah. who encouraged me initially in thinking about that. I can't remember where the impulse in, uh, impulse came from, but. Um, so uh, began looking at uh, British universities that did external research and would allow me to stay in pastoral ministry. Because at that point, with the family, yeah. with where we were at in my career down at yeah. Calvary, like yeah. I wasn't going to pull up, you know, pull up stakes and go uh, into a full time PhD program. So I needed an external uh, program, and uh, got connected through some through some different folks. I think Scott uh, Hafman was helpful in that, connected me with my uh, eventual supervisor and um, ended up going to, um, uh, Carla Pullman was my uh, supervisor and she was uh, head of classics at St. Andrews and then went over to Kent and then it ended up at uh, University of Reading, which is where I mm-hmm. finally graduated from with my PhD. But so, you started at St. Andrews? No, I started talking with Carla while she was at St. Andrews. And just as I was about to apply, she said, why don't you hold off on that? Because I'm about to leave. Okay. And uh, she said, I'm going to Kent. So if you want to, you know, if you want to go to St. Andrews, it's fine. But if you want me to supervise it, you're going to have to go to, to Kent. Got and it. at that point, I was... Uh, really uh, looking forward to supervising her supervision. So I just waited and then went to Kent. Got it. 
then she went to Reading. I said, when are you going to Oxford? Let's just keep, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's just keep shifting. Exactly let's just keep right. following you all around, you know? <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that was, so it was a great experience. So uh, what can I say here that would be helpful? Um, when, did it, when did it become clear you actually could do this? Uh, you, I mean, obviously not all uh, UK universities right. allow you to do this. Great, that's a great and, point. And you kind of got into it probably thinking, I'm going to try, and not all I'm not super, sure it's going to materialize. And not all supervisors will yes, be right, right. receptive. Yeah, to so it. Scott... Uh, who was at St. Andrews at the time, he said um, the M, he said the MDiv and church history uh, school here will not let you do an external research. And he said, but the classics department will let you do yeah, an external research. Oh. And so he said, if you don't mind, he says, I have a friend who's in classics, Carla was my supervisor. And he said, I think she'd be interested in this because she's an Augustine scholar. She likes patristics in the early church. And, and um, so if you don't mind getting a classics degree, uh, then you could do St. Andrews. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I mean, I'd, I'm trying to think. I had no interest in classics really at that point, um, but I had done my MA in Augustine, and he said, well, he, Augustine's kind of classical. Yeah, world. You can count he's that. In that space. You know? So I shifted my interests um, from church history to classics, and um, and because uh, Carla was very interested in the topic. Then you obviously had to go back to patristics at that point, or had you decided to go that direction already? Because you were going from justification, which I'm assuming was... No, at that point, I was I was doing Irenaeus. Okay. So I was already, already doing... Yeah, which is... So it was arguably... I mean, Augustine's probably a little better of a classical figure than Irenaeus, but Irenaeus lives in that world, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it worked out well. For the classical world. And so, um, yeah, so shifted over... Uh, so I was still focused on Irenaeus and shifted over from church history, kind of focused to classical focus, which really fundamentally didn't change the degree right. much right. in any way. Just the the diplomas as classics rather than church history, which I actually have come very much to appreciate. The classical world is just a fascinating yes. world. Yes, and, that's why I mean, it's, it's its just, own discipline. It is. I mean, it's just extraordinary. And to be in the classical world, not as a church historian per se, but to be in the classical world as a classicist is its own, um, it's just its own fascinating way yeah. of approaching the, the, you know, the ancient world. Yeah, and just in, in case there's someone who's not familiar with what's meant by classics as right. a discipline, it refers to, I mean, just correct me if I'm wrong, Greco-Roman world, Greco -Roman culture, history, history yeah. art, yeah. and all. So you're going to go like anywhere from like the very beginnings of the Greco-Roman kind of history that we have. Um, Alexander the Great. To yeah, yeah. I mean, like Plato and Aristotle and okay. Socrates are all going to be part of that, all the way then into like you know the age of Augustine and even yeah. you know eventually the, the, the you have the, the fall and collapse of the right. Roman Empire. And it molds into yeah. you know medieval stuff. So, but uh, yeah, so um, ended up uh, at the University of Reading where I finally graduated from, but University of Kent was essentially the same way. So not to, Todd, to your point, not every PhD program in the UK mm -hmm. will do a, an external research. Um, and I think from what I understand is it tends to be the case that, you know, Cambridge, Oxford, the big schools, Cambridge, Oxford, um, St. Andrews, Edinburgh, Durham, Durham yeah. probably not all, they're not all going to do external research. You might be able to have a department that will allow yeah, for that. Or a specific supervisor. Right. So you have to kind of do a little bit of investigating. Yeah. Um, but but then when you drop down a tier into kind of second tier uh, universities, a lot of them will do some sort of external research. And at that point, what matters is really finding 
a good supervisor. Yeah. A so first-tier supervisor. First, can, yeah, you can have to be have, at a second-tier university. Yes. That's right. Yes. Because if you've got a supervisor that just isn't that into supervising your project externally, yes. you're basically just doing it on your own. And at that point, it's just like one big personal research project, which you're just not going to get as much out of. So um, I would, I would, anyone who's thinking about doing this route, I would encourage them to do some research on the supervisor. Like you just have to make sure you got a good supervisor. Hey, everybody, just a quick announcement about an exciting opportunity for you, potentially, to get more involved with the ministries and programming here at the Center for Pastor Theologians. We recently announced that we have begun to accept applications for our fifth Ecclesial Theologian Fellowship. This fellowship will be added to our four existing fellowships, and this is a great opportunity for aspiring and established pastor theologians to join with other like-minded ministers in fellowship and uh, to share the vision of the pastor theologians that is at the center of our mission here at the CPT. If you're interested in finding out more or applying, you can go to our website, pastortheologians.com, and click on the fellowships link on the homepage. Let's get back into our conversation where we left off with Dr. Gerald Heastamp. And what constitutes a good supervisor? So I can tell you from my experience what was good for me. Um, Carla, uh, my supervisor, she, uh, we had a regular rhythm where I would write, let's say I would write somewhere around five or 6,000 words. And then we would Skype. We have a Skype meeting. I would send it to her ahead of time. She would read it. She would then uh, mark it all up with track changes and put all sorts of comments and thoughts and reflections on it. She would send it back to me. And then we would Skype for probably about an hour and a half to two hours and just walk through everything that I had uh, written, all of her comments, questions that she had, things that she thought should be clarified. Uh, and then I would make all those changes to what uh, she had uh, written about. And then I would send the next, say, you know, four to six or 7,000 pages, or uh, sorry, uh, words. And then we'd repeat that. So we did that for you know, I don't know, four or five years, you know, we just kept bouncing back and forth on that. And then when I, you know, then I, some of those things I would go back again and she would relook at. Um, but um, she was very attentive, very responsive to my emails. If I had questions, uh, very willing to give time as was needed. Um, and she also encouraged me too. This is, I think this is a good piece of advice uh, for folks out there do like ask for references from mm. your supervisor. If you're potentially looking at a supervisor, say, can you give me a list of like three or four students that have used yeah, you for external say, research? Oh, wow. you know, and, heard, I mean, that's a great- So this was Carla's idea. She said, I've got, you know, these two students that I'm supervising externally and um, here's their email and wow. you send them an email and ask them how the experience has been. And Yeah, because I was about to ask, like the the best kind of feedback I imagine that you can seek out is talking to people who have studied with him Correct, or her. Absolutely. So, I mean, uh, there's that's really the first and only place you should go. That's right. I was talking with, uh, it was, who was it? It was one of our CPT fellows and I can't remember who it was, but he said uh, his external research with his supervisor had not panned out <laughs> quite in the way. And he said, he said, after meeting him for five minutes, I thought I would give anything to have this guy supervise me. And then after like two months, I was like, I would give anything to not have this guy supervise me. <laughs> yes. You know, so it's your first experience with someone can be really yes. positive, but I think 
Zach, to your point, it's yes. the, talk to a student who has had them years, you know, for a yeah. year or two to see what kind of attention you're really going to get. Because yeah. you can find an external research to you know program and get someone to sign off on it, but like that's not that hard to mm. do, frankly, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. But finding someone that's going to be attentive and helpful and um, kind of useful throughout the project, that's a bit more of a challenge. And and uh, so I just, you got to do your work on that side of it too. So. And Jared, I don't know the answer to this, but I suspect there would be very hard pressed to find a North American PhD program where you could do it this way. Yeah, uh, I don't, I did I look around. I mean, I, I don't want to be like, I know for sure that this can't be done, but um, I I don't know. Cause the, the North American system is just different. Yeah, for sure. You know. More, what's, what's, what's different about it? I, I imagine there are some people who might be sure. thinking about this that yeah, are yeah. familiar with that. Yeah, so in the British system, you have taught degrees and research degrees. And so if it's, a, and that's gonna be at the MA level all the way up to the PhD level. And so a, a taught degree is gonna have class requirements associated with it. So if you're trying to do a taught degree, you're gonna have to be on the university campus in order to do that degree. Yeah. They also will offer the same degree in a research degree. And so those degrees don't have class requirements associated to it. What the entire degree is built or judged around your competency in writing your dissertation. So it's like one big giant test. That's your dissertation. And by the way, PhD degrees in the UK are almost always or always research degrees. I don't know that they all, Todd, maybe you know better than I, but I think the, ma the majority of the British system has research degrees as its capstone. As its, as yeah. its capstone, like terminal not, degree. Not, is the yeah. same, not the same emphasis on, on coursework. Right. right. And comprehensive exams. And, and so where, even, whereas in the US, and, and the, yeah. that is, so a PhD full-time in the UK is typically about three years. Right. Whereas a US PhD program is, is what? How, how is that? Well, different? it can be three years, but it depends though. Like, you know, we've it would be got unusual. a mutual friend who's at University of Chicago and you can spend seven, eight, 10 years at University of Chicago doing your PhD because, and it yeah. depends whether you're, he's in Semitic, so it's going to be a different setup. But the, the, um, uh, the course requirements, uh, the exams about how you've mastered certain areas of, you know, of your, of your discipline, uh, there's a sense in which, frankly, I mean, there's a romanticism of the British degrees yeah. and, you know, you know, Cambridge and Oxford are, are quite illustrious. But the fact is like a rigorous American program is in some ways more difficult, I think, even oh, than, uh, than, uh, certainly. Yeah, than Cambridge or Oxford. And more comprehensive right. in so, terms of the educational yeah. experience you're going to get. That's right. So if, many would, yeah. uh, you know, defenders of the American system would argue. That's right. So if you're yeah. looking to have more of a generalist knowledge yes. of, let's say, church history, or yep. you're going to do something in theology, and you want to kind of know the whole landscape, yep. you're probably better off with uh, with an American degree. But it's going to take you longer. But it'll take you a little longer. Yeah. If you yeah. want to just get in, you've got a thesis idea that you're really interested in. You're just ready to write. And you're ready to write on it and get going, then a British system actually can be a pretty good way to, to get after it. So yeah, it's more narrow. Yeah, particularly if you feel you've developed your kind of scholarly competencies to, not that you've arrived, right. but that you've developed them to a point where you're ready to- Do research. Do research going. for a terminal research degree. And, you know, you're not thinking, oh, I need to learn another two languages. And this is or, a point worth making is that if you're going to go and do an external research degree in a British system, you, you, you have to 
come in having some sense of what you're looking to study. So like it's yeah. like you can't come in like I'm going to do church history. You don't have yeah. two years of fiddling I'm, yeah. I'm interested right. in Paul and would like to do something on Paul. Right. Like that that's not going to work. No. And in fact, when you apply, I, I might speak from my experience. I don't know if it's universal, but like when I was applying to the British uh, university that Carla was at at the time, I had to put in my research proposal in my application. So I talked, so this is another point worth making too, uh, is if you're going to apply for a research degree in uh, the UK, you want to connect with the supervisor first. Yes. And you're getting the supervisor's buy-in before you apply to the university. And in the American system, it tends to they're not they're not as tightly connected. You're getting into the into the program yes. in the American system, and then you get assigned a supervisor, or you might connect with the supervisor later. But and you have years, literally, to hash out your thesis topic right. in in the American system. Yeah. Oftentimes, yeah, or hash out what it's going to what it's even going to be right before you begin writing it. Yeah. So back to my yeah. story, um, I the idea of writing on Irenaeus and his cosmology and his view of the devil and how that all uh, took shape, that was something that I had been stewing on and kind of brooding on for a couple of years before I was able to apply to a And program. remind me of how that came about. Was that atonement theory stuff, Gerald? What was this? I mean, how no, did you get the interest well, in Irenaeus? Yeah, and, uh, you know, when you do your, your, um, your viva, or your defense, this is like the first question they ask you, right? And so I was prompt by my supervisor. She said, you know, they're going to ask you, how did you come up with so this? So you, you had the whole deal. Well, no, on. and I had to sit and think. I'm like, how did I come up with this idea? This is, <laughs> this is, I don't remember this. Because I had had it for so long. It wasn't like I just came up with it. I thought it was atonement theory through your work wasn't on justification. Wasn't it C.S. No. Lewis? No, was it was C.S. Lewis. Lewis. Oh, it was. Yes. Yeah, Prelandera. Oh, he writes. Gosh, that's he writes. Better than I thought. I know. It's far less nerdy than I, I thought, and more no, poetic it's so and charming. Aesthetic. It's so charming, isn't it? Oh. Prelandera. Prelandera. Second book in the space trilogy. Yep, out of the sound. No, not or the. Uh, Prelandera is the second book. That's, that's what point. I mean. That's yeah. right. And in his space trilogy, and uh, for those who have read that space trilogy, uh, Lewis writes of kind of our solar system with the planets and he speculates for the series purpose that each of the planets in the solar system uh, has a, uh, what's the terms actually? Remember the name? Hanau. No. Is that what you're? No. It, it's like a, basically it's like the oh, God of each planet. Yes. That is, it's sort of like an archangel, but it's, they're not archangels, but it's basically like an archangel sort of mm. angelic presence that is the guardian of that planet as the planet's life form develops, and then when the planet, so that's what the Hanau is called. The Hanau is the, the Hanau is, is the life form. is the life form. Yes, the image bearer yeah. really is kind of what's that's right. what's intended by it. Right. So as the kind of the dominant life form that God intended to come to its mastery of the planet the reaches planet, its right. mastery, then the uh, the the God figure, small G, hands the keys of the kingdom over to this life form. Oh my. And so- Where'd he get that idea? I don't, you know, it's he, fascinating. He, he, he yeah. never said where he got he it. He never said where, not that I'm aware of. I don't Irenaeus know where he got is it. where he got it. It's, it, it, <laughs> he certainly, certainly got it. It would be right. fascinating to like dig through his letters or something like that to see if he ever- It seems like it. like Lewis more bought into a Milton narrative, which we haven't oh, yeah, talked okay. about that right, yet. Right, right. So I don't, I don't know. But he then speculates in uh, Berlandra that the- um, the God figure of earth uh, does not want to hand the keys of the kingdom over to human beings. And so he takes it for himself and leads like a rebellion 
and oppresses the world. And that's such, I thought that was such a compelling and, and sedu- interesting And narrative. like, uh, uh, seduces not in a sexual way, but the the Eve figure in that in that world and out of this. Well, sound. no, so he does I'm it just, in earth, the Satan, so it ends up being Satan, right? Does it in earth. Yep. But then he goes, and this gets complex, you have to read the books, but he gets going over to Venus, I think. Which is Perlandra. Yes. Perlandra is the name. He goes of over to Venus and he tries to do it in Venus. The, yeah, right. right, that's what I'm... So he's not successful in Venus. Yes. But he is successful uh, on Earth. And mm. so the silent planet, this is another name of his, of in the, in the space trilogy, is the planet that has lost contact with the other planets because the god of the planet has taken it over. So I was reading... That's Earth, by the way. That's Earth. Earth right. is the silent planet. The silent planet. planet. I was reading Lewis and his Perilandra, and I was also reading, I think, uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion. And it just, the the yes. kind of mythical cosmological yes. worlds that both of those authors create, I found to be just super fascinating. So then I thought, I wonder if you could read the story of the Bible like that. Like, what if Satan was more like what Lewis presented or more like Sauron, you know, more like Melkor in Silmarillion. And uh, which in both of those accounts is kind of vying for supremacy against the other characters in the book rather than against the God figure that stands above all of the characters. And uh, I thought it worked pretty well Mm. reading the Bible that way. And then, and I began to do some writing and scratch on it, you know, and and uh, one of our CPT symposia, um, shoot, like probably 2007 or something. I mean, Ooh, this is as long as a while, days. like early days. It was the second fellowship. Yes, so yes, I mean, yes. you got to go back a little bit. But um, one of the fellows said, I think uh, Irenaeus does this. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, that'd be interesting. So oh, then marvelous. I just started reading Irenaeus and sure enough. There it is. There it is. I mean, it's like all there. And uh, I thought, this is fantastic. So then that began my foray into Irenaeus. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Pastor Theologian Show. Be sure to tune in next week as we continue our conversation with CPT co-founder, Gerald Heastand. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CPT Podcast, a theology podcast for the church. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider throwing us a like, sharing the podcast online, subscribing, leaving a review. Uh, Anything like that would go a long way towards helping other people hear about the podcast. Uh, The CPT Podcast is a ministry of the Center for Pastor Theologians. You can learn more about the CPT by visiting us at pastortheologians.com. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our host for today's episode was Todd Wilson. Our producer and editor was Trenton Jones. Our music was composed by Andrew Gerlicher. I'm Zach Wagner. Thanks for listening.